This podcast is sponsored by From Idea to Opportunity. From Idea to Opportunity is a self-paced video course that teaches you how to book the talk of your dreams. Are you dreaming of stepping on the red dot but don't have any idea where to start? Or maybe you've applied to conferences and been rejected, but you don't know what's wrong or how to fix it. In From Idea to Opportunity, we teach you the same system we've used with our one-on-one clients for years to put speakers on the world's most prestigious stages. In fact, within just two weeks of launching this course, a student successfully booked the talk of their dreams without ever speaking to us personally. So if you're tired of waiting on the sidelines, watching friends and colleagues deliver the talk of their dreams, wondering when it's going to be your turn, go to bookthetalk.com. Click enroll and start your journey today. That's bookthetalk.com. Go make a dent in the universe. Welcome to Beyond the Red Dot, the show about influential speakers, the talks they gave, the impact they've made, and how you can do it too. I'm your host, Brian Miller, the founder and lead coach at Conquer the Red Dot, where we teach you how to book, write, and deliver the talk of your dreams. I'm joined by my co-host, our Conquer the Red Dot master coach, Lindsay Ray Cohen. Lindsay, what is going on today? Hey, Brian. Um, I, you know, believe it or not, I actually spent my own morning re-listening to my own TED Talk today and the work that we <laughs> did. Do, you? I did. The, there's <laughs> nothing else in the world that can get, bring you more clarity than than going through the TED process. And then whenever I need to to write again, I sometimes just listen to it again because I find that it really helps me gain clarity on on what I need to do. And I was working on some website stuff, and I was like, you know what, the message is clear. Get back to it. And I listened to it. <laughs> all over again today. You ever listen to yours again? Uh, I've never seen my TED Talk. You need uh, to listen to once. it again. I've never seen it. I've never heard it. I never listened once. I asked my wife uh, how it was. She's on the first day it dropped back in 2015. She said it was great. And three and a half million views later, I just have to take it, take people's word for it. So, uh, but you know what? We've got somebody here today that went through this process uh, just a few years ago, and we are so excited to hear about it. Who is our amazing guest today? So our guest today is Todd Churches. Todd is the CEO and co-founder of a New York City-based executive coaching firm, Big Blue Gumball. He's also an award-winning professor of leadership at NYU and Columbia, and the author of the groundbreaking book, Visual Leadership. In 2019, Todd gave a TED Talk entitled The Power of Visual Thinking. Todd, welcome to Beyond the Red Dot. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Brian. It's so great to uh, be here with you. And uh, I don't feel so crazy now, the fact that I listen to my TED Talk around two or three times a day. So I don't know if that's obsessive. I don't know if that's over the top. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I do like Lindsay. I like to watch it occasionally. Just as a reality check, sometimes you have that imposter syndrome. Like, did I actually do that? So it's, it's good to read it and it like reinvigorates you and re-inspires you about what you do and builds your confidence. A lot of times I'll listen to it before doing another public speaking event just to uh, get in that mindset, that get that standing on the stage, standing on the red dot uh, mindset. So before we get into your TEDx journey, um, what was your talk about? Tell me, what was your big TED idea worth spreading? Yeah, it was about the power of visual thinking, which is the focus of all my work and my teaching and my book, Visual Leadership, which is if you could think visually, you can help other people to see what you're saying. 
How do you get an idea of you're heading into someone else's through using the power of what I call four areas, visual imagery, mental models, metaphor, and storytelling? So I don't take a deep dive into all four of those, but I just touch on them to give people a small taste of what visual thinking is all about. Can you give us an, a, an example of that just for, for folks to get the, their own visual mental image? Like in, in what circumstances would, you know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, they're coaches, consultants, speakers, authors. How would this process benefit them? Yeah. So, for example, in the TED Talk I talk about, and I use this with my coaching clients, and uh, um, I was sent earlier in my career to, I was a project coordinator at a theme park company out in LA. I'm from New York. You may be able to tell from my accent, but uh, I was living in LA and um, I took a job as a project coordinator and I got promoted to project manager. And they're like, oh, by the way, you're going to have to go to China to oversee the installation of these theme park uh, audio animatronic robotic animals. So I had never been out of the country, never managed anything was terrified of flying across the Pacific Ocean, didn't even have a passport. So I arrived in China and no one spoke any English and we had to do this installation and I didn't know how to communicate with them. And I just picked up a piece of paper and a pen. I started drawing and sketching like, you know, a hammer. And I can't draw that well, but I drew well enough. It's like playing Pictionary or charades. So I started drawing pictures and we did a lot of pointing, pictures and pointing, um, and we got it done. So if we needed something, there was a lot of gestures, body language, facial expressions, I realized that we're not just communicating through our words, but through imagery and through body language and facial expression. And then I started teaching other people how to do that, how to uh, pick up a pen or use a prop or a picture from a magazine or a PowerPoint slide. So we think visually, we communicate visually, but there's a whole art and science to it. And that's what I teach people to do. So I just touched on that briefly in my in my TED talk. I really loved your use of slides. And I don't say that because often when I'm coaching clients, we discourage slides. But for mm. a talk like yours about visual thinking, you have one of the most fluid use of imagery that I've seen in any TED talk. The way that you the way that you use your clicker, it just felt organic. It felt like talking and it felt like your slides actually enhanced your talk where normally I feel like they take away from them. How much time did you put into creating that slideshow? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for saying that because so much of my work, my teaching and everything revolves around the use of visual imagery and it has to be Seth Godin's a master of that. Steve Jobs was a master of that, of seamlessly integrating integrating your visuals with you. Like you want to be the center of attention. So my tech, my slides have very little text on them. They're all imagery and they could be literal or metaphorical, but yeah, it should be seamless between you and your slides. So if they distract from you or you distract from them, then it's not working for you. So thank you for saying that. But the big story behind that, I have to tell you, I don't know if you guys even know this, but they put up the wrong slide deck for my TED talk. So I actually did my whole TED talk with the wrong slide deck up there. No. But long story short, um, I actually had 30 slides in my deck. And again, they were quick hits, seamlessly you know, connected to my talk. But they said, oh, we need the 10 slides that we're going to integrate into your video and the edit at the end. And I said, can I send that to you afterwards? I don't want to take any chance of them getting confused or whatever. Like, don't worry about it. We just want them so we can check it off the list. I get up there on the stage and round of applause, and I click the first slide, and it's not my first slide. It's about the fifth slide of, of what should have been up there. In the, so I almost froze for a second, and I'm like, what happened here? And then when I clicked the second one, I realized that they put up the 10-slide video slides and not the 30 slides that I needed for my talk that I had rehearsed and timed and everything else. And I was like, do I keep going or do I stop? Because it was being broadcast live on Facebook. Um, and we had 100 people in the audience. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. So half of me, luckily, the slides were in the right order. 
but there were ones missing. So um, what's interesting is I tend to talk really fast, but the fact that I didn't know what slide was coming next, it was almost like a Pachacucha kind of thing, if you know what the people know what that is, mm-hmm. where imagine doing a TED Talk and you don't know which slide is, slide is coming up next. So it forced, <laughs> me to pa- forced me to pause and slow down a little bit more than I usually did. So when people said, oh, you were so confident and poised and your pacing was great, it was all because I didn't know what slide was coming up next. So wow. that's the true story. And when I got off the stage... I got a great round of applause, but I was almost in tears. I literally, I was half furious at the organizers because they didn't give us a chance to rehearse beforehand and do a a tech run through. On the other hand, I was like, I don't even know how it went. But luckily, when I saw the video two months later, I was very happy with how it came out. But I will never forget, and I always remind people, always force people to do a tech run through beforehand because you literally never know what's going to happen. So anyway, that's my story of the slides, just to pull back the curtain on that. I mean... First of all, my heart goes out to you for that because <laughs> I think what so many people don't realize about the world of professional speaking is, and, and you know, and, and this was true when I was a full-time magician as well in entertainment, is how much of the success has nothing to do with the person on stage, right? Mm-hmm. The success of an event, there are so many people and moving parts involved. And it's actually why when I was a magician, I did a no tech show. I was one of the only magicians like in the whole circuit that used no music. There were no sound effects. There were no no music cues. There was nothing. I just mic like like as if I was in a comedy club grabbing a microphone. Microphone and could have a thousand. I did the most I ever did was like fifteen hundred or two thousand people. I did it out of the same suitcase that check. Yeah, I put over the overhead rack and mm. with a microphone and nothing. And one of the and and it's not that I didn't want to do a more interesting, more media heavy show that could have been interesting. But it was like I was doing two hundred to three hundred shows a year, and I didn't want to take the risks yeah. on the tech. It's one of the reasons that we often discourage slides is, is one, because most speakers do them badly. You do them very well. Thanks, Seth man. Godin does them well. Steve Jobs does them well, right? But most people do them badly, so we discourage them. And part of the reason I discourage slides is that it's, 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 the, it's, the te- it's one more thing that can break. Mm-hmm. But what you proved with as i was listening to this story is that you actually knew your content the slides mm-hmm. were a, mm-hmm. were there to support it they were not the presentation itself yeah. Yeah. and that's that's a marvelous thing Do you, what would you say to obviously you've learned your own lessons from that what would you say to an aspiring speaker or a tedx speaker about the use of slides would you still encourage them discourage them what would you say about that i would say less is more right and you want to simplify complexity like you're saying brian is like the, the more variables you have and more moving parts the more chance there is of something going wrong right so the, the less uh, the more you could strip it down to its essence i'm a big fan of the work of gar reynolds i don't know if you know him presentations and and the naked presenter but he's all about simplicity brevity clarity that's like his mantra he takes the japanese principles zen principles and applies it to the world of presenting so just make it as simple as possible if you have slides and props and you know, it's you, you just especially. It's one thing if you're at an event and you are the only speaker. It's another thing if you're part of a lineup because anything yes. could go wrong at any point. So you really want to uh, simplify it as much as possible. That's what I would say. And I think beyond that, something that um, anyone that's aspiring to give a TED talk to that fears something like this happening is that the solution is simple. If you have clarity on your idea and a concise understanding of your messaging, any mistakes that might happen on stage aren't going to matter Mm -hmm. because you're going to be able to bring it back. Yeah, that's a great point. No one in the audience knew. My wife knew because she said, oh, what happened? Because she rehearsed with me. She's like, what happened to that slide? What happened to that slide? But 
no, not one person in the audience knew anything was missing. Everyone was like, that was amazing and this and that. So I, it wasn't until I saw the video that that verified that. But that's a great point that if you leave, unless you're doing Shakespeare and Hamlet and you forget to be or not to be and you leave that out, no one's going <laughs> to know this, that you skipped the line because my wife's an actress and sometimes she'll get off the stage and she'll say, I blew that one line. It's like, you were amazing. No one knows. No one yeah. noticed. No one cared. And also, if you don't memorize your script word for word, um, know what you're going to talk about. Know your talking points talking points but because one time when i went, actually attended i've attended about probably eight different ted talk events and one guy was very scripted and robotic and he was following the script and you can tell and then he dropped his note cards and he forgot he lost his place for a second so then he had to improvise and he was great after that so he went from being like memorizing points and glancing at his notes to just talking to us and that's when he became natural and authentic and genuine and it was like the tale of two ted talks so yeah. it was great I'd love to talk about that for a second because there are those two different approaches, right? It's like, do you just have a, you know your content inside out, so you have a loose outline, you kind of know the points you're gonna hit, mm -hmm. and you go up there and you be conversational? Or do you write it word for word, and do you memorize it cold because this is your one chance on a TED stage? And there's two camps on that, and we, when we coach speakers, we fall into the word for word memorization camp, but, the way that we do it to avoid what you just said, I tell every one of my speakers, you're gonna memorize this word for word, but that's the beginning. Because if you merely memorize it, you come off robotic. That's mm -hmm. when you're like, here's my next line, here's my next right. word. Yeah. Said you're gonna memorize it cold, and then you're gonna rehearse it 200 more times until the script gets out of the way. Until yeah. you know it so well that if you messed a line, if you screwed up, if you got distracted because someone dropped something in the audience, that your brain wouldn't, forget where you were and drop your note cards, that kind of thing, you would just, you it's internalized. That's what we always talk about. And so I feel like that's like the most amount of work to do it mm -hmm. that way, but that's what we encourage. Having said that, when we coach speakers on keynotes, full 45 minute or hour long keynotes, we do not do memorization for that. Mm -hmm. We do, because that's crazy to me to be memorizing word for word a one hour presentation. I don't know, what what, what are your thoughts on the the memorization versus versus you know, kind of loose outline notes system. Yeah, I call it the bookend approach. You want you want to memorize your opening and your close. That's, right? that's the most important Hallelujah. thing. <laughs> right? So if you because if you can nail your opening, the hardest part the hardest part of any talk, speech, presentation is from going from backstage to on stage. Right. Yes. So if you can Hallelujah. nail down, so visualize being out there and, and do it. If you have a chance to actually walk that TED stage and stand on the red dot in front of that TEDx sign, then it makes it real. It expands your comfort. I always say go, you have to go from the comfort zone to the zone of the unknown. The stage becomes part of your new comfort zone if you get the chance to practice there. But if you can nail your opening, then you feel much more comfortable and confident. And then as you bring it home, like landing a plane, you want to nail that close and that leads into the applause. So that's what I would say. And also when you use slides, you don't want to, each each visual reminds you of the talking point without having to go off a script. So it's like when I, when this slide is up there, I want to talk about this. Like one of my slides, yeah. I talk about you know why visuals, attention, comprehension, and retention. Now I could have done that without the slide, but putting those three keywords up on the screen just reinforces it. When you use visuals, it helps people to focus, helps them to understand, and gets them to remember. Boom. 
Like those yeah. are the three talking points. So it's like you want to simplify things as much as possible. And I would even say beyond that, one of the things that I work with a lot of uh, the clients that Brian sends my way, I focus on performance coaching. And in that aspect, I try to remind my clients and I could see you do this in your talk. And it's one of the things that attracted me to just really dig in and like listen deeply. I stopped everything I was doing. Like Brian said, I put the Cheetos down. I was honed yeah. in. Is that I could tell and feel that you were thinking the next thought and it felt organic and it felt like you were having a real conversation with your audience. And I think that part of that comes from knowing your messaging and part of it comes from creating a script that is connected to itself and continues through the same line of clarity. But I really want to ask you another question. How did you get invited to your TEDx talk? Yeah. Well, there's a long version. I'll tell you the short version. One, you know, like many of us, we aspire to be up there on the TEDx stage. That's something that's aspirational and we want to do. And there's a certain prestige. It gives you both credibility and visibility to be able to say, I'm a TEDx speaker, regardless of what you do. So I applied, like many other people did, multiple times I got rejected. So I looked for events in and around the New York area, submitted my my application about, you know, why is my idea worth spreading and why am I the only one who can tell this story? And then for TEDx, so my fifth time, I applied for TEDx Tarrytown in upstate New York, and I was one of 11 finalists, and then I got noticed like a couple of weeks before, oh, there's only time for 10. So I was Oof. the one who ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh. But but here's what I did. Instead of sour grapes and like, you know, being upset about it, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the TED event. And I actually signed up to be a sponsor. So I was one of the sponsors. So my company logo, Big Blue Gumball, was up there on the screen. And I went with my wife. And while I was there, I got to stand on the stage. I got to stand in front of the, I took some selfies of me doing that just to visualize myself up there. And I met the organizer. And not only that, this is what happened. She said, oh, have you met Nikos? He's doing a TEDx TEDx chelsea park in new york city next year so, you know this is guy who you know missed the final cut so i became his number one candidate for his te- um for his event so i applied like everyone else and i got chosen so um the fact that i went there i would not have met that organizer and you know it doesn't guarantee that just because you meet the organizer you're going to be chosen but that gave me he now knew who i was so i got bumped up on the pile of applications. So that's what I would say to people, go to these events, it makes it real, you're supporting other TEDx speakers, and you could visualize yourself up there someday. So that's how I ended up on, finally ended up on the TEDx stage. Man, I, I'm, I love hearing that because you, you would think that would be obvious for people trying to do it, but it's, it's not. I, I have to tell people all the time, one of the, one, it, the most common way people get booked on a TEDx stage is not the cold application. Less than 1% of those cold applications mm. are chosen. So, right, and and so, so I say that to people and they go, well, what do you mean? Like if there's 10 speakers and there was 100 applications, what do you mean if they only choose one? I'm like, yeah, they only chose one from the application, but they booked eight or nine other speakers that they had a connection to somehow. They either knew them directly, knew them indirectly, asked around their trusted professionals, their colleagues, their network, who do you know? That's how I got, you know, somebody said, who do you know? And three different people said, you gotta talk to this guy, Brian Miller, he's a magician in town. So mm-hmm. it's like that, the principle, it's literally the first line in my book, that uh, the book I wrote on human connection to go with my TED talk years ago. The first line is, it's not who you know, it's who you meet. Mm. And it's so important to, you know, the word networking, 
really scares people because we have this old school idea like you know like the old like people think what networking is is whoever hands out the most business cards wins you know that old like oh i don't want to go to a networking event Mm -hmm. but networking is just making connections with people and showing genuine interest right like you said you didn't go there hoping oh if uh if they see me then they'll book me you went there right. like let me see what this is all about let me visualize what it's like to be here let me learn about this process let me support these speakers i tell people go to the local conferences and then when their talks come out share the talks tag mm-hmm. the speaker tag the organizer on linkedin share what you you know learned from that talk be be a part of that community be be supportive um, yeah. I, I got to ask you though, Todd, like the, the, so during the writing process, right? So you go through this, mm-hmm. you get accepted. Did you have a moment after getting accepted? Did you have like the, oh crap moment? Now I actually have to <laughs> yeah, do that this moment thing. of pa- the panic, <laughs> imposter syndrome, panic yeah. attack. Talk to me um, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think you had, I think it's on your website, right? That you had debilitating, uh, uh, speech anxiety, uh, social anxiety yeah. earlier. I, I, grew up with major panic attacks, social anxiety, performance anxiety. I always said, you know, I, I always say I'm a three B's guy by nature. I am extreme introvert, but I'm a back of the room, behind the scenes bookworm. I would much rather, when, all through school, I sat in the back of the room. I'm six foot four. I would slump down so as not to be noticed. Do not call on me. I never raised my hand once. So for me to be a professor at NYU in Columbia and a TEDx speaker now is so far out of what I ever envisioned for myself doing so yeah so i had that um and also we magnify tedx talks right so even though i've been presenting for years the fact that it was a tedx talk i blew it up into this gigantic thing it's just another talk and you were chosen because you have something to say so you have to kind of like almost trick yourself into into that but yeah just sitting down and writing it and also most tedx talks are eight ted talks are 18 minutes tedx talks are somewhere less than that I thought mine would be around 15 or 12. And then we were all told we only had eight. So you only have, this is your big moment on stage. And I had designed my talk for a 12 minute talk. And then I found out like two weeks before, oh, I had to cut, um, well, this, I wasn't a math major. What, what is uh, 12 minus eight? Four minutes. I had to cut four minutes out of my talk. That's and, a lot. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's percentage wise. and But I, it helped me strip it down t- to its essence and tell, you know, a story has to have a good beginning, middle and end and has to connect with the audience. And there's got to be that. Why should I care? What's in it for me? I always say your audience members have two thought bubbles over their head. Why should I care? And what's in it for me? So it's like, why should they be interested in what you have to say? And how will <laughs> they benefit from you have to say? Because so many TED speakers tell a great story but then you say all right so what like where's the connection how does this resonate with me or why is this why should i care so i wanted to i ended with the marcel proust quote that the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands but in seeing with new eyes boom that was like my my close and it's like remind the people that you know and and yours i know brian was about you know you talk about perspective taking and seeing things from other people's point of view so it's about you and also one other thing I want to mention, like you talked about, like the application process in all of life. It's not about who you who you know, but who knows you. And it's also relationship building. Uh, one of the chapters from my book is called "Why It's More Important to Be Interested Than Interesting." Right. Mm-hmm. So it really should be. And our mutual friend Tracer, um, who 
without her pinging me and saying, hey, you guys were doing this, I wouldn't have even known about it. So thank you, Tracer, for helping me to be here. She's the queen of curiosity conversations oh, and networking. Mm -hmm. And oh, so yeah. I try to emulate. I'm in awe. As an introvert, I'm in awe. I talk loud and fast because I'm from New York. But like I said, I'm a big introvert. So I'm in awe how she could just go up and talk to people. But had I not gone to the TEDx talk, which pushed me out of my comfort zone just to go, and then because I felt like the loser. Here I am showing up, and I was the guy who got cut. But had I not gone, I might not have gotten to do it. So just and then meeting the organizer and being open to meeting new people. So you have to kind of push yourself into doing that. And then, um, you know, the results, you know, came out very positive. Yeah. So yeah. what was the actual conference like? Can you tell us about the conference that you were at? Well, one thing we had, we did rehearse in an office and then we did do a walkthrough of the space. And I think it was like two or three weeks before that they switched to a different space. So the day I showed up to do my TED Talk, I had never been to that venue before. So it was new to all of us. So that wasn't great. You want it to be like anything. I mean, baseball has spring training for a reason, right? Act Broadway shows have you know previews or they do it on the road or something before they opening night of the curtain so you want as much as possible i mean i always say preparation cervantes said to be you know preparation is half the victory right so it's like you need you want to prepare and practice as much as possible and do a walkthrough or a run through dress rehearsal if you can tech run through if you can but so often for a lot of organizers it's their very first time doing a tedx talk and they're learning as they go so in some ways the, the organizers were more concerned with the red beach balls and where they should be placed than they were about you know how the the speakers were feeling and yeah. you know again it was new to all of us and it turned out great and everyone it was a really supportive group that's what i love too as someone who was an introvert even though your tedx talk is a solitary experience we formed a small community of us i think there were nine of us speakers and it was really great we're still connected and we still support each other to this day so it's like you go through this life transforming experience yeah. together and it creates this bond of connection and mutual support which was really nice yeah and i think that that i can really relate to what you're saying because when i had the opportunity to deliver my talk it was what brian four or five days before that they decided to go virtual so everything mm. that i had performed and practiced being big and being myself and taking up space because that's what my talk was about was all of a sudden out the window and i had to pivot so if you could tell our audience one thing because i feel like what i'm learning from you and your ted experience is the ability to pivot and stay true to your messaging how did you handle pivoting when everything was changed and thrown your way and still stay true and still deliver such a concise and great talk yeah i always say to my students prepare to be unprepared right so whether it's a, a job interview or a networking event or your ted talk whatever things not may go wrong they probably will not if not wrong they will not go as expected there's a saying that i picked up years ago um that there's three presentations the one you plan to give the one you gave and the one you wish you gave right <laughs> so but the one you gave that's the one that's set in stone that's the one that goes up yeah. on the video right so you, you don't beat whatever happens don't beat yourself up afterwards and say i wish this i wish that it's you know you could do that next time if you do another talk or whatever but you want to do as much preparation and practice going in visualize it try to recreate that experience in advance um and set you up for set yourself up for success by doing as much as possible because once you get up there um you know whatever happens happens but if you've done your homework then even if the slides don't work or whatever 
you still could be poised and confident and deliver your message. Okay, so what is the most amazing or unexpected thing that's happened since your talk went live? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, one, you know what? Um, the fact that I did it w with the wrong slides just reminded me. Anytime I'm in a, my friend Jeff Schwartzman always has a saying, because we used to do a lot of training together, don't be a victim of your environment. That was mm -hmm. one of his catchphrases. Wow. Yeah. Because one yeah. time I went to, I was working for a company, they sent me to a company to deliver training. And I said, all right, open up your manuals to page one. And when I looked down, they were the wrong manuals. They had sent the manuals to a different course. So here I was doing a one-day training program on management leadership, and they had manuals for like, I don't even know what it was for. But um, so but then it's like, deer in the headlights, what do you do? How do you stay poised, professional? Um, you know what I did? I turned it around to the group. And I said, if you were me, what would you do in this situation? And we came up with a solution. Someone said, you know what? Do you have the, the manual on a flash drive? I said, yes. He said, let me bring it up to my office and see if I could find someone up there who could run off copies. So an hour into this workshop, we had hand-printed you know, um, manuals um, that we wouldn't have had. But just by doing that and having the poise and confidence when things go wrong, just to power through it. Right. So again, your audience yeah. won't know. That's the, there's that saying, never let them see you sweat. Right. So I think be not just prepared, but over prepared and, and expect yeah. that if things go wrong, how am I going to use to use uh, Lindsay's word? How am I going to pivot and stay on track and stay on time and, and land this plane? That's it's a beautiful answer. And there's two things that I'll highlight from that before we ask you kind of the last big question here. And, and, and those those things are one. What I think maybe you take for granted in that answer is that you actually have a mastery over your content. And that is a huge, I, I feel like it's under talked about because even people like, uh, you know, like I, you know, we do speaker coaching and we're also a messaging firm. And I can talk all day about how to get your messaging right and your marketing and how to sell and how to all this. But at the end of the day, what a lot of people forget, and even I forget to talk about sometimes is, but first you actually have to be an expert in your content. You have to mm -hmm. have mastered it. Otherwise, none of the marketing, sales, messaging, good speaking in the world is gonna help you. So you had a mastery over your content, which means you can pivot because you have options. You're not stuck with that manual. And the second thing you did, which I think people take for granted, is the confidence to ask for advice, right? To say to the group, hey, what, what do you think we should do? Uh, I, I say this to leaders all the time. If you want your team to respect you more, ask ask your team for their advice on what you could be doing differently. Like, you know, you've just finished a project, you're a team leader, and you instead of instead of asking for feedback, because I think feedback is is a word that makes people nervous. People don't like giving feedback, they don't like mm -hmm. getting feedback. But if instead, if a team leader, we just ended a three-month project and you say, now I'm looking to take on more projects like this in the future and do an even better job, what advice would you have for me if I took on a project like this again as the leader? That is a beautiful way yeah. to get people to, because it, it, it puts your, your team on the same level as you. It, it's a mutual respect. It says, I have something I can learn from you. We're all in this together. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did in that example of saying, well, what if you were me? What would you? What would you do? That's, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, Dale Carnegie, who wrote the book uh, "How to Win Friends and Influence People," had a saying that people support a world they help create. Right. Uh -huh. So even in my NYU classes in session one, I say to my students, "You've all, but we've all been, and again, using inclusive language, we, not you or I, right? We've all taken really bad classes, and if we're lucky, we've had some really good ones. What would make our class, this class, the best class you've ever taken?" And we come up with a list of not rules but guiding principles. 
And if you think about a com, com, um, compass as your visual, right? What's going to pointing true north? What's going to get us to our destination 14 sessions from now if we follow all of these things? So then the group Beautiful. becomes self policing, right? And, and they feel a sense of empowerment because it's not Todd's rules, it's our rules or it's our guiding principles. So I love that you that you picked up on that. It's like as a leader, using inclusive language and saying we, and let's come up with this together. And it's not about me, it's about us. It's beautiful. Todd, we just have a minute or two left here. Let me just ask you what, you know, the folks listening to this who are aspiring to that red dot to give a TEDx talk someday, what's one piece of advice that you would give an aspiring TEDx speaker? Sure. Well, I wrote a LinkedIn blog post called How to Get a TEDx Talk. So if you want to check that out, I have a lot, number Great. of these t- tips in it if you go to my profile. But here's the key thing. It's like with anything in life, the preparation, do your homework. I read um, Chris Anderson's book, TED Talks, and Carmine Gallo's Talk Like Ted. I watched as many, I probably watched, <laughs> I don't know, 200 TED Talks, you know? So again, <laughs> yeah, you, right. you, you don't want to be someone else. You want to be the best version of yourself. But mm-hmm. again, read the books, watch the TED Talks, you know, Google the articles, get coaches like the two of you who are amazing, right? You're not, even though it's about you and your name is going to be up there on the screen, it's a it's a it's a journey and you know, there's so much support out there so don't feel like you're all on your own or you have to do it on your own talk to people like people on the show who've given a ted talk and say what did you learn what would you do differently so that's what i would say is reach out even though it's uh, feel solitary you're not alone right and we've all gone through the jitters and everything else so just realize that and have the confidence and uh and if you get a chance to go to a tedx event and stand on that stage i always say if you can see it you can be it Right. So stand on that red dot, take a picture of yourself in front of that TEDx sign, and someday you'll do it for real. I love Magnificent. that. Todd, uh, can't thank you enough for being here with us and sharing your story. I think this is going to be a really inspiring episode for a lot of people. Thank you, Brian and Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Have a great day. And thanks for going beyond the red dot with us. Brian, that was such a fun interview. I adored Todd. So let me ask you, what is your one takeaway from what we learned with Todd today? Yeah, it was a it was a wild conversation. The thing with the slides and not knowing what was coming. I, mean, I, I think my big takeaway is just there is nothing more important than knowing your content. That is the single best defense against anything that could possibly go wrong. And and be assured that if you are in the world of professional speaking in front of live audiences, things will go wrong. So you need to know your content cold. I could not agree with you more. That's such a great tip for our listeners. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Go out and make a dent in the universe. This podcast is sponsored by From Idea to Opportunity. From Idea to Opportunity is a self-paced video course that teaches you how to book the talk of your dreams. Are you dreaming of stepping on the red dot but don't have any idea where to start? Or maybe you've applied to conferences and been rejected, but you don't know what's wrong or how to fix it. In From Idea to Opportunity, we teach you the same system we've used with our one-on-one clients for years to put speakers on the world's most prestigious stages. In fact, within just two weeks of launching this course, a student successfully booked the talk of their dreams without ever speaking to us personally. So if you're tired of waiting on the sidelines, watching friends and colleagues deliver the talk of their dreams, wondering when it's going to be your turn, go to bookthetalk.com. Click enroll and start your journey today. That's bookthetalk.com.
Dot com. Go make a dent in the universe.